Hey, friends and family, this is Katie, a.k.a. Dora, a.k.a. Tima, a.k.a. Stasi. Yes, finally, my backup character has been revealed, and I'm not called Annie, it's Stasi. I'm so glad you all finally get to meet her. And in this episode, you're going to get to know her a little bit better. I love this episode, I'm not going to lie, it's one of my favorites. Uh, we all got to contribute to it, it's it's one of our very special episodes, and so I'm really pleased to be able to bring it to you today. We really want to thank you for all the love you've shown us, for downloading, for listening, for sharing with your friends and family. Anything you guys can do to help spread the word, you're our best way of getting the podcast out there. We really, really appreciate you. And now, a little bit of a departure, a little bit of a respite, a little bit of Chapter 49, Holiday. Welcome back to Dark Nexus. Tonight, it's Act 2, Chapter 49. Yes. We pick up earlier in time. At 11 o'clock p.m. on the fifth day of Neth, we are on the deck of the Selen Starling. Captain Freeling has gathered all of the survivors on the deck of the ship. She and Tolman have worked through the course of the afternoon to to get things prepared for for a little event she's throwing tonight. They've gotten everyone upstairs. They've got everyone's clothes cleaned. They have hung some poles around the aft area of the deck of the ship. Poles that are obviously kept for this exact purpose. And they the some members of her crew tie up these gorgeous silks to each corner of this, to these poles. And they make effectively a sort of a, a tented room out of the aft of the deck of this ship. And the rain had, had petered out sort of in the late afternoon, so it's, it, is, it is calm. And you know the, the cloud cover was starting to thin midday. So there is view of a starry sky up above. And she's got her crew, and she's got all the survivors, the, the remaining survivors from Briarstone Isle, gathered together on on the ship here. And Tolman stands up in front of everyone and says, so we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know if we're all about to go somewhere together, part ways, if the story of our time together is coming to an end or not. But regardless of what does happen, I was talking with the captain, and we have all been through an experience. And regardless of what darkness happens next, truly the darkest days of our lives, I hope, and I pray to Shaylin, I hope that those days are behind us. And we're not quite at solstice night, but in talking with the captain, the captain gives a little nod, I think for us this is, this is our solstice night, if we let it be. If we let this be the last long, dark night of this experience. 
and we choose to think of the light that follows, the days that follow, as growing longer and brighter from this point. I was talking about this with the captain, and it turns out she and her crew have uh, have something that they do. Do you want to you want to explain this, Captain? Oh yes, of course. So me and my crew, you know, we're all family here, and we're from all over, and we travel all over, and all the places we've traveled. You pick up rituals and practices and rites, and I'm not, you know, I'm not not one for an abundance of religious observance, but I do follow Desna with my heart. And there are those among the crew who follow Shailen with, with their hearts. And there are many of us here, and you see some nods among the halflings, who spent a great deal of time, willing or unwilling, in Sheliaks. They're not to speak for them. I don't believe they hold Asmodeus in their hearts. But many of the rituals of that culture were rituals they were brought up with. In all three of these faiths, account the solstice day as one of the holiest days for their gods and for their followers. So there's a thing that we do, there's a gathering we do every year. We could have chosen the spring solstice, but we chose the winter solstice as a reflection, sort of as Ptolemy was saying, of a hope for longer days to come. And we do our own little version of crystal hue, of the days of wrath, and the ritual of stardust. We gather as a family on this deck, beneath the sky, and we turn our hearts to these gods. And we unburden ourselves of whatever's appropriate for us in that year. We're gonna to begin tonight with crystal hue. And you see, several of her crew members now going, following around the edges of this fabric that's made the shape of this tent, and they fasten crystal prisms and little glass baubles all around the edge of this thing. And they have this very carefully uh, and elegantly constructed sort of like metal, like wrought iron fire pit that they can set up on the back of the deck there to get a flame going. And this this sort of little tent that they make has a hole in the center to allow the smoke to go up. And as they're hanging these prisms and, and glass beads, the light from the fire is now catching each of these prisms and, and sparkling. Um, Maeve, do you want to get this started? Maeve has taken the tiara back <laughs> and she has, she has new clothes. It looks as though she or maybe one of the adults, has fashioned a white dress out of some of the bedsheets and crap that got carried back from Briarstone. Uh, but for once, this is clean. It's not sepia-toned. It's not covered in blood. And she's wearing this white dress, and she holds. She stands to the center of the group, and she holds up a little doll made of scraps of leather and cloth sewn together with red thread with little buttons for eyes. I am the child, and I present Zanzan. And then uh, people that know this tradition nod a little bit. And uh, Skywind, you know, sees, sees some confusion on some faces there. <laughs> says, I say, uh, there's a tradition on, on Crystal U where 
A local child was chosen as, as the sibling. The name is Sibling Maeve, not the child. Thank you. Um, and this door, it's called the Zonzon door. It represents Shailen's kindness and mercy that she showed to her now lost brother Zonkuthon. And the tradition is that you give it gifts and you whisper apologies to the door. You share stories of those who you've wronged, or you share stories about great mercies shown to you. Does anybody here wish to share a story of someone you've wronged to whom you wish to apologize, or, or, or of a great mercy shown to you? Oh, oh, I, 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 got, a, I got a great mercy. Bates steps forward. Uh, uh, Miss Miss Freeling, I, I got a I got a great great mercy. The floor is yours. Um, so I I give the I give the doll a gift. You tell us the story, and then you can whisper a name, or you can whisper a secret related to your story to the doll. You give us the context, and you give the doll the secret. Oh, I I thought you meant that I actually gave it like a present. Do you have something to give to it? Yeah. I, well, Mr. Gull gave me gave me a real uh, alchemical torch. So I, I don't need this this toy one anymore. I, I could give this to the doll. Oh, all right, all right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so Maeve takes the the toy alchemical torch, and she gets some thread from Nasa. And as Bates continues, you see uh, Maeve very clumsily, like <clears throat> like sort of sewing. The little pistol to the Zanzan doll. Okay. Um, oh wow. There, there's an awful lot of you out there. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not used to talking uh, in front of a whole lot of people. Um, you all looking at me? <laughs> oh, everybody's looking at me. This is weird. Um, okay. One of the, one of the halflings, uh, uh, a guy named uh, Lynn. Oh, it's okay. You'll get used to it. You know, it's all right. <laughs> Just tell your tale, little man. Oh. Okay. Oh, all right. Call me, call me little man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so I, I was at Briarstein for a couple of years now, and um, and um, you know, uh, Mr. Gabriel, you know, he he uh, he used to uh, he used to tell all of us children that you know there was a there was a place for us in the world, you know. Um, and, and I, I was sure that Briarstone was was my place, cause you know before before I came to Briarstone, like I was I was with my family, and uh, I, I have a, a, a lot of uh, brothers and sisters and and half brothers and half sisters, and uh, we're we're a real big family. Um, it's kind of strange talking about this in front of all of you, cause I, normally I only talked it with the you know the doctors and stuff, um, but. Uh, Sometimes my 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 body it, it shakes and I can't uh, I can't control it and uh, but but when I when I when I had it happen the first time it it was real scary I I didn't know what it was I, I just kind of fell down and and uh, it was like I I went away but everyone could still see me I was still there I I didn't actually you know physically go away but um, my brothers and sisters saw me and they uh, they thought that I had you know, been taken over by some kind of kind of monster or like a 
real bad monster had taken me over and was controlling me and, and was uh, making me do things and stuff. And my daddy, he, uh, well, he, he, he's real proper with Verasma and he, he, uh, he didn't like that. He didn't like that at all. And, you know, he tried to get that monster out of me, but it, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't take, but, uh, but, you know, he was, he was, he was real, he's real good to me, and he, uh, he paid to have a, a, a priestess of Phrasma come and, and, and take me, and, uh, and she, she took me away, and, um, well, she, she said that she was going to do a, an exor, exorcist, exor, exorcist. Exorcism? Yeah, that's a word. Exorcism. Yeah. She said she was going to do that to me, but uh, but really, she told me later she was just kind of, kind of making it up like a like a play. Um, um, yeah, but, yeah, you see a lot of the adults in this circle doing something that we just all did. Uh, very sad size. And, uh, but, but my daddy, he, he still paid for her to come, and, and she took me, and she took me away and she took me to, to Briarstone, you know, and I, I, I've been, I've been so lucky at Briarstone. I made, I made so many, so many friends like Maeve <laughs> and, uh, and you know, there were all kinds of really great adults who, who helped me and stuff like, you know, like, like Mr. Gabriel, he was, he was real, real sweet and real kind. He was real kind to all of us children. Um, and you know, I know, I know they're not here anymore, but, uh, but I, I'm still, I'm still real grateful to my daddy, you know, for for taking care of me and, and sending me away and making sure that I was taken care of. Cause you know he coulda. I know, I know when some of my other brothers and sisters, you know, when they when they weren't able to help, like sometimes they they just disappeared. And my daddy didn't do that to me. He he took care of me. He really loved me. Yeah. And even uh even my 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 mama, well, she wasn't really my mama, but like she was I don't know what she would have been like my third mama? Yeah. My third mama, Mama Yapchik, she uh she let me go too. Mira suddenly stands up bolt upright. This is the woman who has been very close with Naso, has never spoken. And she she looks completely shocked and she makes her way through the people to to Bates and she takes him by the shoulders and she takes him by the cheeks and she stares deeply in his eyes and kind of turns his head side to side. It... it is everything all right? Do I have something on my... Is it my nose? And she reaches down and scoops him up into this embrace. And she's, she's weeping now. She's weeping openly. Maeve extends a hand with the Zanzan doll so Bates can finish this ritual of sharing a story of a great mercy shown to him. And Mura takes the doll and she looks at Bates and she shakes her head vigorously. She puts one finger in the air like, you wait. 
you wait. And she takes the doll and she goes, she leaves the tent. She goes to the front of the ship uh, where you can faintly hear her whisper a name to the Zanzan doll. And she comes back and hands it to Maeve and takes Bates by the hand as if to lead him back to join her at her spot in the circle. But I, I, I'm supposed to... She holds a finger up in the air. Oh, Wait oh, for it. Oh, okay. Tolman stands up and says, a, a great mercy was shown to me on the darkest day of my life by a young man named Ray. He cared where nobody else did and completely changed the trajectory of that day for me. And thus my life. He takes the doll and he whispers Ray's name into the Zanzan. Skywin shares a story of a period of time where she was involved in some light piracy <laughs> where she got attracted to the financial benefits and the glory and the fear that successful pirates could inspire not just amongst corporate overlords but amongst the navy of Cheliacs and so forth but during this period of time my family and their farm were burnt to the ground and I was not there to help them. I did them all a great wrong and I hope someday to apologize to them. She takes the doll and she whispers about seven names into the Zanzan's ear. Denman takes the doll. Yeah, I, uh, look, I got my, I got a, my sister Beth. I've been treating her like a fucking anchor my whole life. She should have been a feather, whispers Beth into the doll. Some of the halflings tell their stories. Some of the other survivors tell their stories. And at the end of the crystal hue part of the ritual, the sibling, Maeve, takes the doll to the back of the ship, to the after the ship. They've opened up the rails there so she can reach down. And she sets it into the water and gives it a push out. And then Skywind says, And now we pray that the Midnight Lord will take our stories and the stories of his sister's kindness, mercy, and goodwill to the dark place he resides, that it may be a light to all who sit within it. Now is the part that's a little less savory, but we do it because it's, it's part of life, right? Not all of life is savory. Hmm. There's a tradition amongst the followers of Esmodius. It's become sort of a, well, those of you that have been to Chiliax know it's become sort of a national holiday, not truly a religious one. It's called the Days of Wrath. It's a day of, con of contests and blood sports where anyone is allowed to challenge anyone 
to slaughter in the open pits. Obviously, we don't engage in slaughter in the open pits on our deck, but we do, on this day, the shortest day of the year, choose to share a story of a wrong that was done to you that still needs to be settled, or a story of a contract that needs to come to an end. If the person who's wronged you is present, you are to fight, that's part of the ritual. Blood must be drawn, but we will not go to the death, and all the halflings, you know, not, of course we're not gonna go to the death. Asmodeus will watch these duels and bless the person in the right with great power and cunning. If the person is not present, the person who shares this story simply cuts their end, drops a drop of blood into the fire, and vows to settle the matter, whatever it is, within one year's time. Vows that no other solstice shall pass before this matter is done with. Does anybody wish to share a story of, of a wrong that was done to you that needs to be settled, or of a contract that must come to an end? Barnabas's ears start twitching a little, and he stands up and says, I have a story of a betrayal I could tell. He goes in front of everyone and looks around, and he says he has a little the same nervousness that Bates had. <laughs> All of a sudden, a guitar materializes yeah. <laughs> in his hands. And he's not singing, but he's just picking a little bit as he starts to tell his story. My parents, my parents were crusaders, Bassanio and Persephone. <laughs> they were around Canebris for several years. They, they would, part of, a, part of a troop of kitsunes that would uh, battles the cults of Baphomet that were arising around the city. I was but 12 years old when the Balor, known as Coronzade, the Storm King, attacked Canebris and managed to actually wound the Ward Stone until the great dragon Trendelev drove them off. <laughs> but then after the, after the uh, Balor was driven off, there were still these pockets of the cults of Baphomet, so... My parents' troop of kitsune was paired with this other troop of mercenaries to sort of mop the area up. Yes, it was supposed to be very, very uh, easy assignment, how you say, like walking on cake, I think is, is the expression. And as a 12-year-old, I would sometimes help them. I would, I would bring arrows to the adults. I would help support their endeavors. But this time, I was allowed to go and be a part of the troop, you know. I was very excited. It was my chance to be a man, yes? This has a mercenary group. There was a, they were unsavory. There were some humans. There was a, a tiefling. And there was a half-elf. Kororin was his name. Kororin and my father became very good friends. And so for two weeks, there were very many raids on these different cults of Baphomet. And much success after success. Until the last one. Then the betrayals started. For Kororin, you see, was also a cultist of Baphomet, as were all this group. And their assignment? Well, they were tasked with going to all the different cults of Baphomet and eradicating them because they did not soften the city up enough for the Balor, and therefore they were not worthy to serve Baphomet. They fell on us at night. They tied the whole troop up. They're not just a troop. It was a pack. It was my mother, my father, my mother's sister and two brothers, my father's sister and brother and all their families. That is how they, that was the Kitsune way. 
tied us all up in a row and went one by one and butchered each one horribly so all the others would watch. Until finally, there was just me and my father was the last one. The knife was coming to me and my father, he throws himself in front of this blade. And the blade that was meant for me enters my father's body as he just says, run. And then the most amazing thing happened. I turned into a fox. We never do that. We never do that. That was the only time I had ever turned into a fox. Until Briarstone. But I turned into a fox and I run away. And what happened after that? Well, that's a story for another day. You might say it is still being written, yes? But Cororin. I do not know where he is, but I will take the vow. And he walks up to the fire, cuts his hand. Another solstice will not pass until I see you, Cororin. And then the guitar goes away, and he sits down. Elburn stands up. Ah, yes, um, so... My fucking family had me locked up here because of who I love and the way I behave. He pulls out a knife, goes to the fire. Jeremy cuts his hand, squeezes a drop of blood into the fire. A halfling who these survivors would have met by this point named Joshua. He steps forward. He says, I don't think I want to get married to Susie. I think I need to break that contract off. And you see all the rest of the halflings nod their head like, yeah, she's no good for you, buddy. And he says, do I still have to do the blood? I don't mean to kill her. (laughs) You gotta do the blood. The blood does the thing. It's part of the ritual. Okay. He cuts his hand. I'm not gonna say her name though, right? Like, I don't want her to die. Just have your intention. Put your heart in it. All right, so he does that. And then the halfling Lynn stands up, and uh, Lynn's twin brother, Din, <laughs> who you notice have been, they're usually inseparable. But today they've been sitting on opposite sides of the fire. And Lynn stands up, says, Okay, well, you know, I know we normally say no blood sports, but uh, I got a bone to pick with my brother, Din. And Din stands, oh yeah? They both approach each other over the flame. Lin, you stole my girl from me. I'm afraid you're gonna have to die. (laughs) Din says, well, I guess it's the day of wrath. So bring it on. (laughs) Jesus. Lin pulls out a dagger. You see everybody like go to their feet. Lin stabs Din with a dagger over the fire. And Din goes, and then starts throwing a whole mess of red ribbons into the air. Uh-huh. <laughs> As you can see, like all the half things like, ah, oh, <laughs> what, what is this? Don't make fun now. Now, you know there, uh, Skywind, as long as this is a gesture cap prank and um, we just passed gesture cap and we started planning this on that day. 
Asmodeus can't come get us or get you. We're fine. And they clap hands in the air and they go off very, <laughs> very pleased with themselves and their prank. All right, I think we're going to close the ritual of the Days of Wrath at this point. We close with the ritual of Stardust. Those of you that, that follow does not know that it's one of the very few formal religious holidays we, we celebrate. We celebrate it with bonfires like we're doing, with feasts which we can't really afford to have tonight. But we watch, as I encourage you all to do, we watch the sparks and embers float out into the darkening sky. You see some of the halflings at this point. They're at the, at the various poles and they're undoing this thing that has been covering the sky from view. And now the sky with stars in it becomes fully visible and you can see the, the sparks and the ash soaring up into the sky all around you. And we have, well, we have this. It's ground quartz. She pulls a little, little pouch. On this night, we share a story of someone we love that doesn't know our feelings. Or we share a story, and all of the halflings kind of nod in anticipation, of a journey we wish to take. They all nod. We share that story, and we sprinkle the ground quartz into the fire as we do so. Anyone have a story to share of Someone you love that doesn't know your feelings or, or a journey you wish to take. Maeve is like, um, if I'm allowed to talk now, I want to take a purple dragon and fly to the moon. Thank you. Uh, all right. Uh, here, take some, take some. Yes! She takes a handful of this ground quartz and she throws it into the fire. And Brenton, uh, very inspired. You know, um... I want to go to the boneyard and visit Debus. Throw some ground quartz into the fire. Dabwick will um, oh, yes. step up. Uh, uh, my, my story loves my story about a journey. It's the biggest surprise of all, at least to me. Me dreams are coming true. The great journey of me life has begun. Now, I don't know if I've told you. Haven't I told you already? But I suppose anyone with half an ear knows by now. I hail from the greatest city on the material plane, arguably the very art of Galerian itself, Casimir. You hear me crowing about her from first light, I dare say, for I love me own me do. Oh, dear. Oh, yes, you poor lot. You're from Freshmore. Right. I can't imagine how you must feel. Truly bereft, I say, to find yourselves attached to this sad place. So sick. So rampant with infection. How terrible for you. Oh, yes, yes, infection. I, I know that word is probably alarming to most of you, but don't you doubt it. Balance isn't understood at all around here. The rats themselves can smell it. Some anus presence of corruption in the earth. I dare, I dare say 
I may not ever grow me sea legs, as it were, but it would take some convincing to get me off the starling at night. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the darkness out there is... It's thick somehow, eh? Yeah. Oh, oh, but the journey, the journey. Yeah. Right, right, Sky right. was giving them like a... Right, right. Speaking of the sullen starling, <laughs> fact is, I wouldn't be here at all if I hadn't agreed to join Captain Freeling. She's such a corker of an earthling and as good a friend as anyone could wish for. Wait, see, I've been dreaming of these other cities, uh, new landscapes. So, of course, I had to come along when she asked. Yes, of course, me loves. But she brought us to Califas. Did you hear? Oh, what a fascinating city. So different from Casimir in so many ways. I mean, truly, I say, as different as you are from me. <laughs> but we ain't so different, though, after all, right? We eat and shit and breathe and sleep and cry and sing. Well, so does a city, don't you know? Don't you see? Wait, wait, please, please hear me on this, because it's important that I make you understand. In Casimir, I'm known as the premier honorary building inspector, but me vigil includes so much more. The city is thriving, absolutely filled with interharmonious relationships happening on the very smallest of systems, from the crumbs to the cornerstones, from the, from the gutters to the docks, from the light powdering of flour on Miss Peggleston's pie shop window ledge to the giant glint of light on the brass latch of the window of the Navy Citadel at tea time. Oh, I have loved and cared for every possible corner of the city. She saved me and granted me access to her wisdom. She gave me the understanding, showed me what to balance. She has been me mother, me sister, me benevolent auntie, and me naughty neglectful niece too at times, if you can catch me meaning. Now, I'm not delusional, don't you think that? <laughs> I know. I know that one shan't ever hold expectations on a city. Cities aren't good or bad. They're magnificent. But, but, but what brings me here? What's changed? This journey. I've been having the most curious dreams. For what must be weeks, the city fills me with visions of a conglomerate city made up of all the oldest and wisest cities across all the plains. Now, of course, Casimir is there, her intricate, teeming pulse vibrating on top of many, many others with streets and towers overlapping and twisting on each other, swelling and bulging and glowing in the most glorious light, full of balance and understanding. To me, it feels as if the city has been showing me what I've done for her, I might be able to do for, for other cities. And while Casimir will forever be me mother, me sister, Miss Itty, when Captain Freeling asked me to join her, I knew. I knew that this was me city granting me leave. Indeed, as we sailed north on the Selin, me first time outside the city borders, I could feel me city's power still within me still granting me the understanding. And as we traveled and met with new people and saw towns and villages along the way, I carried me understanding with me. And because of that, I can see the sickness in this town. The, the foam on the shore is phlegmy, logy, 
The local redenture are distressed and disbanding in droves. The very air reeks of rot and brine. I don't know if we can figure out what's happening here, but... Well, I'm here out of love and loyalty to my friend, but I'm also here as an agent for the city, and in sharing the understanding and contributing to the balance wherever I can, I find that I'm on perhaps the biggest journey of my life, from the greatest city in Galarian to the greatest city ever. And Skywin, with that, Skywin pours some quartz dust into your into your hand sprinkle it over the fire Valston steps up I have a dream of leaving my homeland and going someplace any place anywhere where I can be free of my family's expectations and perhaps of my own expectations for myself that's the journey I want to take now. And he sprinkles some quartz into the fire. Nasa stands up. Oh, you know, um, but my story is of someone I met in a hospital in a very dark time who protected me and stayed by my side, never doubted me. And I have never yet spoken of my love for her. I hope someday I find the courage to do so. And she tosses some of the quartz dust into her hand. And Mira, across the way, gives a little nod, looks down at Bates, and points to the dust and does a little tossing gesture. You want me to toss some dust in there? She nods very emphatically. Well, okay. But I I don't know what to say. I already said my thing. Oh, uh, oh, but Obate's there. I think, uh, I think she, I think she doesn't see your story as as a story of a great mercy. I think she sees your story as but I'm here with you all right now. Yes, it's a, it's a time in your life to leave behind and to journey on now with others who can and do love you the way you deserve. And Mira nods emphatically. All right. Uh, well, here's to uh, to the journey. <laughs> to the dust. Stasi is hanging back from everyone. She clears her throat to get the attention. And she draws out of her coat of rolling papers and a, a pouch of yeah. tobacco. And she, um, she sits back and very practiced, rolls herself a cigarette. Her hat is down over her eyes as she speaks. I never had friends. I spent my life on the streets of Caliphas or in the temple since I was seven. About seven. Then the accusers took my family. 
I tried to steal silver candlesticks from the entry of the temple. I don't know what I thought I would do with them. I was brought before the high priestess. She told me, we will not turn you over to the authorities if you agree to serve for asthma here at the Maiden's Choir. Seemed like a lucky break. You tell me what to do, I do it. I do it well, they tell me to do more things. I do them well too. They tell me what to believe. They tell me how to worship. I do what they say. I respond as expected. Whatever I have to do to get by. It was uh, not much of a life. Not until winter came. You know, some people, they just get under your skin. You can't stop them. They see you, and you can no longer remain unseen. She told me, you are talented, but you have no ambition. You are funny, but you have no friends. You are kind, but you let no one in. I was fine before she poisoned my life with these words. And when she joined the ranks of the people who tore my childhood apart without a second thought, she begged me to forgive them. Because she was one of them now. But I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I was too stubborn. Not ambitious enough. She said, I am your friend. And I said, you are a fool. We should be away from here. Whatever the fuck is happening on that island is beyond you. We told her, if she boarded that boat just because accuser Omari told her to, then I never wanted to see her again. Stasi strikes a match and lights the cigarette. Takes a deep draw and blows it out. And now, I never will. Skywin hands her a handful of ground gemstones. What do I do with this? Cast it into the fire. She does. Many of the halflings have stories to share about journeys they wish to take. Many of the other survivors that we haven't met share stories of the journeys to their home that they all desperately wish to take. And as that's wrapping up, 
Erwin goes and takes a handful of this quartz dust, holds your hand over the fire, says, I don't know if love is the word, but they deserve it. Raises her hand over, slowly sprinkles the dust with the fire. Great Pandora and Gull and Ray for all they did for us. None of it they had to do. None of it they had to do. The Hathings swoop in and put out the fire. Now everyone is sitting on the deck of the ship right before midnight in the open air brilliant starscape overhead and the halflings all take handfuls of ash and ground gemstone and have everybody move back and gesture for everybody to take handfuls of this this mixture of substances and then everybody together in one throws it all up into the air and for a brief moment Hovering between this circle of people is this cloud of twinkling gemstone fragments inside dusky ash. And Skywin says, May this mirror the night sky and demonstrate Desna's witness of all of our wishes. The ash and gemstones slowly fade to the air, and it's a brief moment where those that are inclined to do so all hold hands, and we're all left staring into space. A moment passes, and there's a little of bare halfling feet running from the front of the boat. As Lynn runs up to Skywin. It's a crack of thunder. Lightning traces across the sky as midnight falls. Oh, Captain, uh, we've got scum approaching, don't you know? And that's the end of chapter 49. Oh, See you next week. Good stuff, Dark Nexus is a creation of Plug and Hum Productions. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot com. Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-P-E dot com. Opening and closing themes along with additional music composed by Rob Kozlarik. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. 
Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. WTPK. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Two tags. Season good. two tag. <laughs>